This is considered, I understand, Family and Friends Day. So this lesson this morning is, is geared sort of to the family. However, I know that in some cases there are, there's only one person in the household. Of course, that's a family also. And this lesson applies to anybody uh, under any circumstance, although it will have some leanings toward uh, families with multiple people and especially families that have children still at home. But it, it's a lesson that I think we can understand. It's a lesson based on uh, the Old Testament from the reading that Micah gave a while ago. If you want to uh, turn to Exodus chapter 12, if you're, or if you're still there, we'll look at it a little bit. I'll talk about some of the things involved. And while you're doing that, let me just mention, and I don't have to tell you that we live in a crazy time. We live in a time of all kinds of crises. There are problems and troubles and difficulties and struggles everywhere you turn. Evil seems to be having the upper hand most of the time. Now we, got, we have to remember that God is still in charge in his own good time, he'll deal with everything the way he wants it dealt with. But in the meantime, we have to learn to be patient. We have to learn to be faithful. We have to learn to trust. And we have to learn to do our part to do the best we can to follow God. No matter how crazy everything is around us, no matter how difficult uh, the whole world has become, but in a way that's nothing new. We just have better ways of finding out all of it uh, in a wider range than we used to. But in view of all that, I want us to look at uh, some things that happened with the Israelites of old. Israelites have been in Egypt for a long time, several hundred years as, as slaves. You know, the, I guess all the kids even know the story about all of this, but uh, it comes time for God in his own good time to deliver them from their bondage to give them the home that he promised their father Abraham long time before that they could have the land of promise or the land of Canaan. And so it comes time for God to deliver them. He sends Moses down to Egypt to release or to bring out the children of Israel. Moses and, and Aaron go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's not very cooperative because this is a lot of free labor. And if you look at uh, a passage or two later, you'll find that there are several hundred thousand of them, maybe even more than a million. And so Pharaoh is enjoying the free labor. He and other Pharaohs have for quite a long time now have built their empire, no doubt, on the backs of these Israelite slaves. And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and, and basically say, let our people go. And Pharaoh's not too thrilled with that idea. And so God has to start sending a series of plagues. And those plagues were things like uh, the first one was the water turning to blood. And then after that one was over, they, there were frogs and there were lice and there were flies and there was disease in the cattle and there, were, there was hail. And then finally you come down to the ninth one. Uh, which was a, a thick darkness. And every, each one of these was designed by God to soften Pharaoh's heart and cause him to tell the Israelites, okay, you can go. But it didn't. In fact, the scripture even makes an unusual statement that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I'm not sure exactly what that means, but at least it means Pharaoh hardened his heart against God in each one of these. And he was bound and determined to win the battle. And so God decided to, and told Moses about sending one more plague. 
And that plague was going to be really drastic. Blood and flies and lice and cattle disease and all of those things was bad, but this one was going to be terrible. It was going to be the death of every firstborn child, that is a firstborn child in every household, even among the servants and even the firstborn among the livestock. Every family, so to speak, was going to have their firstborn slain by the Lord. And so the plan that God gave Moses and then the Israelites was this. If you want to evade having your firstborn die that night, you take a lamb and you, and in the reading we spoke of it, you take a lamb on, on the night before, the day before, you pick this lamb and you sacrifice this lamb, or rather you prepare this lamb uh, as your food for the night. And as it turned out, it was going to do them for another two or three days. And so they were to prepare this food and uh, not have any leaven in their bread. In other words, they were to be ready to go because God said, what I want you to do is to take blood from that lamb and sprinkle it on the doorposts, that is on both sides of your doorway and on the lintel of your doorway. You put blood on your, on your doorposts of your house. And when I come through that night, I'll pass over you. There's a song that we sometimes sing, and, and we we're going to sing it this morning, but since the, uh, and it's not in the book, so since the uh, electronics didn't work, we couldn't sing it. And the song has to do with, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And so God made a way for these Israelites to be spared the death of their firstborn. And it had to do with the blood on the doorposts of their house. Now, the, there were several things involved in all of this. One of them is that their houses were a place of safety. They were to have that blood on the doorpost, and God said during that night, don't you go out. And secondly, that blood was to represent their obedience to God. This sounds like a strange plan uh, in, in today's world, as well as I'm sure that day's world. Other people who didn't understand God probably thought that that's a strange thing to do. That's a crazy thing to, you know, smear blood on you on your doorway out front and that's going to help you. But that was God's plan. And the, the fact that they obeyed that showed their faith and their trust in God. And then finally, that night prepared them as, as they were to go out into uh, this new land and be their own people. So I want, us to, I want us this morning to take a lesson from what happened there. And I'm asking the question as we go along, is the blood on the doorpost of your house? Now, I don't literally mean uh, blood from a four-legged lamb. And I don't literally mean the blood of Christ, but I mean figuratively the blood of Christ. Is the blood of Christ covering your life, your house? is the blood on the doorpost of your house. Let's think about three things that have to do with, uh, with our houses, our families, uh, as we go along today. Now, as I mentioned, the blood on the doorpost of the Israelites' houses signified protection, signified safety. As long as they had that blood on there, and, and uh, as long as they stayed inside, nothing happened to them. It was a haven of rest, a haven of safety. 
And you know that that night when the Lord, he started at midnight and when the Lord came through and had, he was doing what's called the destroyer or had the destroyer with him. I've never understood exactly the mechanics of it. But the point is when the Lord came through that night, the destroyer was, was killing the firstborn in each house, even Pharaoh's household. And if you read the passage carefully, you'll notice that, that there was wailing and crying and everything during, after midnight that night. It had to have been an awful sound. It had to have been an awful sight. Because in the whole land of Egypt, every household had somebody dead. And out in, out in their barns or their pens or whatever they had their animals in, there were animals dead out there too. It had to have been a terrifying night because death was everywhere. But it was not in the houses where the blood was on the doorpost. Now to make the application, is your home a haven of rest, a haven of safety? Is it a place of security? Oh, it may not, you may not have the best locks on the door. I don't mean that kind of security, although we, we do that to try to help secure our situation. But spiritually, is your house a haven of rest? Is your household a place of safety? Do you have the blood of the Lord on your household? You know, several years ago, <clears throat> I was going down Dobbins Pike to uh, Gallatin one day, and I've forgotten whether I was going or coming when I noticed the sign. But as you come up the ridge on Dobbins Pike, uh, there, there's some woods on both sides and then houses along the way. And somebody had tacked a, a, a pretty good sized sign to a tree on the side of the road. And that sign read, the blood of Jesus is either on your hands or on your heart. And I thought, now somebody was using their head. The blood of Jesus is literally, uh, figuratively, is, is actually on the hands or the heart of every responsible person in the world. It's either on our hands because we, like Pilate, are guilty of rejecting the Lord and of, of not doing his will, or it's on our heart because our hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus in our obedience to the gospel. So in that sense, in that sort of way, is the blood on the doorpost of your house? Is your, is your family, is your household a place of safety? In Psalm 46, if you uh, want to turn over there just a minute, there, there's, a, there's a beautiful passage uh, in, well, that whole psalm. But uh, uh, I want you to look at, at 46 for just a minute because it has an application to what I'm trying to say. In Psalm 46, starts out by saying, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. And then it goes on and talks about some more things along that line. But then it comes to verse 8 and it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear into. He burns the chariots in the fire. And then look at verse 10. In talking about all this, uh, all of this turmoil that God has taken care of, it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Is your, is your household a place 
where you can be still and know that God is God. You know, we, we almost do the same thing that those Israelites did. We can shut our doors at home and in the, in the context of, of faithful people, worshiping people, godly people, people who are, are hanging on to the Lord, we can shut out all the stuff that's going on out in this sinful world about us. We need to have the blood on the doorpost of our house. You know, homes need to be a place of, of calm and peace and all of that. Uh, that's sometimes extremely hard to accomplish, isn't it? I have a little article that I clipped some time back. And I want to read this little article to you. The carpenter I hired to help me restore an old farmhouse had just finished up a rough day on the job. A flat tire made him late for work. His, his skill saw quit, and now his ancient pickup refused to start. When I drove him home, he sat in stony silence. On arriving, he invited me in to meet his family. And as we walked toward the front door, he paused briefly at a small tree, touching the tips of branches with both hands. Then opening the door, he underwent an amazing transformation. His tanned face was, was wreathed in smiles, and he hugged his two small children and gave his wife a kiss. Afterwards, he walked me to the car. We passed the tree, and my curiosity got the best of me. I asked him about what I'd seen him do earlier. He said, oh, that's my trouble tree. I know I cannot help saving, or kept, I know I cannot help having troubles on the job, but one thing's for sure, troubles do not belong in the house with my wife and children. So I just hang them on the tree every night when I come home, and then in the morning I pick them up again. Funny thing is, though, he said, when I come out in the morning to pick them up, there's not near, near as many of them as I remember hanging on the night before. Well, that's, I don't know whether that really happened or not, but that's an illustration of what I'm talking about. If the blood of, uh, if the, blood of the Lord's way is on your doorpost, your home, your household will be a place of safety and rest and so forth. And you know, that, that also, that involves a lot of things. And it's up to you to figure out how to apply all of that. I don't have time to talk about it. And, and you might even call, could accuse me of being meddling if I do. But uh, the, the point is that uh, we need to make our homes a place of safety from uh, the crazy world and refuge from all that goes on. And we need to be sure we figure out a way to do it. I thought it interesting as a little side note in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 8, <clears throat> God was interested in the, <clears throat> in the Jews of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was interested in their having a safe place, literally even. And so he gave the instruction in Deuteronomy 22, 8, when you build a new house, and those houses had flat roofs. You put a, 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 it's called a parapet or a banister. You put a banister around the top of the roof so that uh, you won't be responsible for somebody falling off. Well, I just thought that was a nice little uh, addition to this idea of our homes being a place of, of emotional and spiritual and, and even physical safety. Now, a second thing that went on with the Israelites on that Passover night, that is when God passed over them by seeing the blood, <clears throat> is that they were to use that occasion once a year 
from then on as a reminder of God's goodness toward them and his deliverance to them and so forth. And so uh, they're, being, uh, they're being fastened in their homes that night, uh, turned into a thing of guidance and development. And even the instruction is given when, when the Passover laws are given by the Lord after this. The instruction is given that when your children ask you in generations to come, what's the meaning of this? Then you can tell them, this was our time of deliverance. This is how God got us out of Egypt. This is how uh, we were able to uh, get away from Pharaoh and the bondage that we were in. And so it was the time of teaching. And it represents that and represented that at least until the Jewish system was over with. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, we're told that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If the blood's on the doorpost of your house, then you teach the Word of God. Some houses, some, houses, some homes don't have, don't have a, a father in place. Some homes even are one person. But still, the Word of God is to be taught whether you teach yourself or whether you teach everybody else in the house, the Word of God is to be taught in our homes, in our houses. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, and I know people will argue with this, and uh, there, there are lots of things maybe we don't quite understand about it, but the basic principle is train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And so <clears throat> our responsibility is uh, to do teaching. I have a little poem that I uh, acquired a long time ago, and <clears throat> this is some of what I'm talking about. It's called In Daddy's Steps. I watched him playing around my door, my neighbor's little boy of four. I wondered why a child would choose to wear his dad's old worn-out shoes. I saw him try with all his might to make the laces snug and tight. I smiled to see him walk, and then he'd only step right out again. I heard him say, his voice was glad, I want to be just like my dad. I hoped his dad, his steps would choose, safe for his son to wear his shoes. And then a shout and cry of joy, a hello dad and a hiya boy. They walked along in measured stride, each face aglow with love and pride. What have you done today, my lad? I tried to wear your old shoes, dad. They're big, but when I'm a man, I'll wear your shoes. I know I can. They stopped and stood there hand in hand. He saw his son's tracks in the sand. His words of prayer came back to me. Lord, let my steps lead him to thee. And so this is one of the jobs that the home is, has, is to lead everybody in the home in the Lord's way. I'll, I wanna, I'll mention something. I'm reluctant still after all these years to do this. I don't know how many of my family have even heard me say this, but I finally have got old enough, I think I can get up the nerve to tell you. When each one of our children were born, I won't tell you how long ago now because they think it's a long time, and when each one of our children were born, <clears throat> my wife didn't even know this until just very recent years. After we got home with those little ones, I called her not looking in all, in all three cases, and I picked those little ones up in my arms and I prayed, Lord, 
dedicate, uh, dedicate we, we help Tricia and me to guide these little ones in your way. We've tried to keep the blood on the doorpost of our house. I know you try to keep the blood on the doorpost of your house. You must. This congregation's unusual by these, by these days' standards. You've got lots of young people. You've got lots of little ones. You've got lots of young families. So many congregations are just drying up on the stem by various reasons and for under various circumstances. But you've got a real blessing here. Keep that blood on the doorpost. Do everything you can to train and to teach and to guide and to lead and to influence and to be an example because the world is getting, at least in our culture, the world is getting more brazen with their sin and getting more scornful with their, with their railing against God. And I, we all need all the help we can get in trying to dedicate our homes and our lives to the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 1, you have the account, and you've heard it many, many times, of, of Timothy's mother and his grandmother, Eunice and uh, Ber Bernice. Uh, and uh, Eunice and Lois, I don't know where I got that. Eunice and Lois. And both of those women had a great influence on Timothy. Timothy was a great gospel preacher, great servant of the Lord. And it didn't come by accident. It came by the scriptural knowledge that Eunice and Lois put into Timothy. Paul knew it and, and wrote that down for all generations to find out and to know and to understand. And so our family is to be a place of guidance and development. You can't depend as good as, as good as the Bible school is, as good as our worship services are and we try to do, that by itself is not enough. We've got to teach, 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 teach. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, I just vaguely referred to it this morning, but you go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and when Moses is telling the people, reminding them about the law of God and all of that, he says, look, You've got to teach, the, you've got to teach the, the law of God when they rise up and when they lie down. You've got to teach them when they walk by the way. You've got, to, you've got to teach, teach, teach. You've got to do everything you can. You've got to, so to speak, wear it as front as between your eyes and, and his bands on your arms. You have to teach because he said if you don't, and of course it could even happen then and actually did, but, but he said if you don't teach them all the time, the Word of God, then they're going, to get into, they're going to get into a land that's got all kinds of blessings that, they did, that were just handed off to them, and they're going to forget God. People all around us who are from a Christian background are forgetting God. They're, leaving him, they're laying Him aside. They're running off and leaving Him. We've got to teach and teach and teach some more. And then finally, one other thing that the Israelites understood about that night because God instructed them through Moses, and that is they were to be dressed and ready to go. They were to have this lamb that had been roasted, uh, which means that, that the, the meat would keep for a little while, but they were to eat everything they could and whatever might be left by morning time, they were to destroy it. 
but they were to be dressed. They were to have their shoes on their feet and their belts around their waist and, and their staffs in their hand and be ready to go. And when the time came, when, when Pharaoh finally told uh, Moses and, and the people to get out of here, we don't want you anymore. Of course, he didn't stay with that very long. But when he finally told them during all that night of death, they were ready to go. And so our homes are to be a, a launching pad for people who are ready to go and serve in the Lord's kingdom. And so, you know, there, there are many things that we could say about all this. In Genesis 2 and verse 24, the Lord's original plan was that, uh, that a man and a woman uh, cleave to each other, marry each other, and uh, leave their father and mother and, and be a separate family. And three times in the New Testament, that, that comment is repeated. And so the home is supposed to be a place of preparing people to go out into the world and serve the Lord. And that can be hard to do. I've got one more little thing I'll share with you that uh, came out of the old 20th Century Christian magazine uh, a long time ago, 1973. But uh, this is by Irma Bombeck, and, and I think it illustrates the, the solemnity of the situation and the difficulty of the situation, but this is the way it's supposed to be. The home is supposed to be a place of preparation. So her article reads, one of these days you'll shout, why don't you kids grow up and act your age? And they will. Or you guys get outside and find yourself something to do and don't slam the door. And they won't. You'll straighten up the boys' bedroom, neat and tidy, bumper stickers discarded, spread tucked and smooth, toys displayed on the shelves, hangers in the closet, animals caged. And you'll say out loud, now I want it to stay this way. And it will. You'll prepare a perfect dinner with a salad that hasn't been picked to death and a cake with no fingerprints in it. And you'll say, now there's a meal for company. And you'll eat it alone. You'll say, I want complete privacy on the phone. No dancing around, no pantomimes, no demolition crews. Silence. Do you hear? And you'll have it. There'll be no more plastic tablecloths stained with spaghetti, no more bedspreads to protect the sofa from damp bottoms, no more gates that stumble over at the top of the basement steps, no more clothespins under the sofa, no more playpins to arrange a room around. You'll have no more anxious nights under a vaporizer tent, no more sand on the sheets or Popeye movies in the bathroom, no more iron-on patches, wet knotted shoestrings, tight boots, or rubber bands for ponytails. Imagine a, little, imagine a lipstick with a point on it and no babysitter for New Year's Eve, washing only once a week, seeing a steak that isn't ground, having your teeth clean without a baby on your lap, no PTA meetings, no carpools, no blaring radios, no one washing their hair at 11 o'clock at night, having your own roll of transparent tape. Think about it. There'll be no more Christmas presents out of toothpicks and library paste, no more sloppy oatmeal kisses, no more tooth fairy, no giggles in the dark, no knees to heal, no responsibility, only a voice crying, why don't you grow up? And the silence echoing, I did. Now that's, that's sad in a lot of ways, but that's God's design. That's the way God planned it. And all these things, all these things need to be taken advantage of while they're there. Is the blood on the doorpost of your house? Is your household a place of calm and ref, refuge? 
Oh, I know there are upsets and turmoils, but I mean, compared to the outside world, is it, a, is it a safe place? Is it a refuge? Is it a place that folks go to get away from everything else and to be closer to God? Is that blood on the doorpost? Are you teaching your family by every means you can the way of God? Is the blood on that doorpost? And are you preparing people uh, those of you that it still applies to, are you preparing people to launch out into this sinful world, to hang on to their faith, to share the Word of God with others, to do the will of God, to be a living example? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 to be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Are we doing those things? Well, the blood I'm talking about is not literally on your door. The blood I'm talking about is your heart being covered and washed by the blood of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then that's the first big step. And if you believe that He's the Son of God enough that you'll repent of sins, repentance doesn't necessarily mean that you've, that you've shot somebody or some so-called big thing. Repentance just means to turn away from living as self wants to live and live the way the Lord wants us to live, whatever that may involve. Do you believe in Jesus enough to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe in Jesus enough to go back here and do this strange thing called baptism? The world looks at it and says, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. What does the water do for you? The water doesn't do anything for you. It's your obedience through faith that does it. And God in his mind and in his heart takes the blood of Jesus and washes your soul clean because you've obeyed and you've gone through a symbolic burial with him and to be raised a new life. That's how you get the blood on the doorpost. And how you keep it is by being faithful, doing the Lord's will. You know, sadly, some people think when they dry off after being baptized into Christ, that's the end of it. No, that's the beginning. That's, that's the first step. That, that begins a, a life that should lead to eternity with God. So be faithful. In this life, be faithful unto death. And then enjoy eternal life with the Father. Is the blood on your doorpost? Better still, is the blood on your heart or is it still on your hands? If you need to be baptized this morning after the other things I've talked about, if, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, willing to repent of your sins and confess His name, then be buried with Him in baptism. That way you put on Christ. You wear Him, so to speak. You're in Him from that day forward. If you need to do that, we'll be glad to help you. If you need to be restored, if you've wandered off the path, if you've stepped aside, if you've opened that door during that night when you weren't supposed to, and I'm referring back to the Passover night, if you've, if you've stepped out and disobeyed God, and yet you're His child, by your repentance and asking Him to forgive you, He'll forgive you. So if you have that need as well, while we stand and sing this morning, please come. Are you sowing the seed?